so we're going we're gonna to resume our service time together. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, open up to Isaiah 9. If you don't have a Bible, these folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going through uh, the book of Isaiah. I know last week um, we took time out for a Mother's Day message. And uh, I felt like both services on Mother's Day were heavy. And I, I left just burdened. Uh, like, hey, it's Mother's Day. We're flowers and everything. And everyone's like, man, what was up with that? And a number of people encouraged me, so I was blessed by that. But I, I've just been dealing with it all week. Like, come on, lighten up. It was Mother's Day. Until I received the coolest text. Um, I was thinking maybe I'd missed what God was telling me to do. I knew that the Lord had given me that, that word. And I thought, well, maybe I'd, I missed what he was trying to tell me. And then I get this text. Um, I, I won't share with you the, the person because anonymity, it's, I want to protect them. But suffice it to say that they're very involved in our city uh, in a great capacity. Um, and I, I, uh, I've, I've run for office four times, and they've actually worked against me uh, in my attempt to get elected, I think all four times. <laughs> and so uh, I reached out to them, and um, there, there's two of them, one in particular, they're friends. One in particular, uh, we, we actually had breakfast together. And we became close. And they asked if I would attempt to accomplish something. And I said I would. And I said, but if, if that happens, it, I, I said, I don't know if you're a praying person, but for that to happen, it would require a miracle of God. Their response to me was, after trying many religions, I am a professed atheist, but if this works, I will reconsider. And that was some time ago. And then I got a text this week that said, um, I'm, I'm writing a Western novel. And um, I'm, I'm joining with others to write this. And I'm writing to ask you, there's a part in the story where the pastor of this Western town um, is sick and he can't preach. So his wife is going to fill in for him at the church. But she's going through a crisis of faith because her best friend uh, died in childbirth and so did the child. And she's struggling over this whole thing. Do you have a scripture verse that would help with the novel I'm writing, being that I'm an atheist? And being respectful, I don't want her to lose her faith. I want her to retain it. So I gave the Mother's Day sermon to this person verbatim. Their response was, this is awesome. And their partner said the same thing. And I realized as burdened as I was about giving you that message, it wasn't for you. (laughs) So that's all I have to say about that. All right. Well, now we're continuing our study through the book of Isaiah um, and, and I, I've, I've been burdened. This is Isaiah chapter nine. We're going to take a look at in a moment. Uh, but suffice it to say, um, my wife and I got back yesterday. We were in Nevada for my, uh, nephew-in-law's wedding. I say Nevada. <laughs> we were in Las Vegas. Yeah. 
That is a screwed up city. (laughs) Apparently some of you didn't think that, but it it is a messed up city. And my wife and I saw things, we were at this intersection and I, I pointed to my wife to the left and I can't even tell you what we saw. It was that bad. And, and, um, just burdened. And while we were there, we got word of the shooting in Texas, 10 dead. Was that four this year? And we were, we were driving, um, we, we drove to and from, so it was a five hour drive, six, maybe, I don't know. Listening to the news and, and listening to commentary. And here we had the, the president of the United States, um, speaking in an interview, a question was asked of him in relation to MS-13 gang members. And he called them animals. We were listening to clips and heard about the Ventura County Star and other newspapers that said he called all immigrants animals. And, and then the response was, well, maybe that wasn't in context, but the reality is no human being should be called an animal. Um, we heard some of our political leaders say that, that no human being should be called an animal. And, and as I thought to myself, and I, I know some of you are probably going to be shocked, but I'm in agreement that you shouldn't call a human being an animal. I, that would be an insult to the animal. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen an animal hack a human being to death and stab them multiple times. Or, you know, and we can go through this. But the reality is, I heard one of our political leaders say there's a spark of humanity in every human being and we need to honor humanity. And I thought, absolutely correct. Why is it then that you as a political leader don't agree to that spark of humanity in the womb of a mother as a human being? Now, I say that because as I'm looking out across the nation and we're hearing about shootings, we're struggling over ideologies and contending for a a, a basis of understanding. And and to me, it seems conflicting. We we want to ascribe to an MS-13 gang member humanity, while at the same time denying the humanity of a baby in the womb. A baby that hasn't done anything. Here you have somebody who has violated the law and we're struggling over... And, and who, where does this sliding scale come from? Amen. And they say, well, it's, it's not a human being. Why? What else could it be? Amen. A zebra? A dolphin? It's too small to be a human being. So a smaller person is less valuable than a larger person? It's its level of development. So an adolescent less valuable than a fully grown adult? Well, it's its environment. It's in the mother's womb. So I'm less valuable here at the church than I am at home? Well, it's its degree of dependence. It's dependent upon the mother to live. So somebody dependent on oxygen or insulin is less valuable than someone... I mean, you don't have an argument. It is a human being. The DNA is all there. And if you're saying that the DNA distinguishes them uh, from an animal, well, then do the same in the womb. And yet we're baffled. And and we're confused. And the culture is... you know, the pendulum is swinging all over the place and we're seeing shootings. And, and I, I listened to the governor of Texas and the uh, lieutenant governor. I listened to the attorney general. The comment was, we need to gather a, a symposium. We need to, we need to bipartisan, inclusive tolerance, bring them together to come up with solutions because it's not working in our country. And we need to hear ideas on, on how to stem the gun violence. And I'm listening to all this, and, and they, they want answers, and, I, and I'm listening. 
We need to arm our teachers. Well, we need to arm the security guards. Well, we need to have a single entrance into the school. Well, we need to, we need to, we need to limit the guns. We need to on and on and on and on and on. And nowhere in the discussion has anyone said, you know, let's try God. Everything else has failed. And I was listening to my friend, David Lane, his comment was the same. Maybe we should try. We've removed him. Let's put him back. But that is, that's an anathema to, to process in California to process that. Paralyzed, right? And yet thou shall not murder justice. There's not social justice. Social justice is the majority of the people say it's not a baby. It's a blob of tissue. The majority of the people say that they're human MS 13 and all is human except for the womb. The majority of people, the majority, no, 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 that's not just justice is what God says. Well, that's your truth. No, 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 no. That's not my truth and your truth. There's truth. Oh no, there isn't. Oh, then why have school? (laughs) Two plus two is four. No, 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 no. It's three. No, it's not. No, it is because I feel like it should be. Okay, well, you get an F. Oh, do you have a closet I can go into? Because that hurt me. I hope you're getting this. We'll give you a participation ribbon. You did well. You, you at least wrote an answer. I'm st- and we're creating an entire generation that doesn't understand that there are absolutes. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And, and here we have leaders and we're contending at the state level, unprecedented in the history of California, what we're up against. Unprecedented. And I come to Isaiah 9, and the picture here, before we begin, the picture here, the Lord says, in essence, you've neglected me, I'm here. I mean, that idea, we're willing to try anything but God. The idea of applying absolute moral principles in our education system, it, it's, it's repulsive almost, it's frightening. We, we, there's no way we could do this, especially in California. You, you are, you're way out there. You're, you're off the edge. You, that, don't even think that. But yet God gives us an opportunity to rethink that. And I, I, I think that the church and the culture has wholly missed what God desires of his people. I think the church and his people have wholly missed what he desires. And and we're going to see that today in the passage of Isaiah chapter 9. Now, one last thing. In Isaiah chapter 9, the context is Assyria is going to wipe out the northern kingdom. And God is giving a promise to the the remnant of the southern kingdom in Judah where David would come and the lineage of, of Jesus would transcend from. The northern kingdom will be destroyed for reasons of disobedience. But God is going to give a hope in the beginning passages. 
And it's been said by scholars that the book of Isaiah is the fifth gospel. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Isaiah is included in all four gospel accounts multiple times. And the messianic prophecies of Christ, and you're going to see in this, it's one of the most profound verses in the scripture pertaining to Jesus, and you've heard it. Matter of fact, I, I taught it on a Christmas Eve service in Isaiah 9, and I had a family leave the church because I had the audacity to ascribe to him this idea that the government would be upon his shoulder, and they said, we just want the gospel. Oh, that is the gospel. No, 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 the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. You've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the gospel. No, 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 that's the beginning of your life with the Lord and uh, uh, recognizing that. But he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's the byproduct. That's what, that's, here's the other one, mission. You know, we have Tim Maddox who was visiting with us. He's our missionary. We always think of missionaries as just insane people willing to go to some obscure location on the earth. And the Lord says, no, no, you're all on mission. It's not a select few that we pay and support. They always say a missionary is somebody who goes where they're not loved but deeply needed. And they leave when they're no longer needed but deeply loved. But we're all on mission, and we're going to see that momentarily. And in this, you're going to see a verse that was written 700 years before the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Now, when we get to that passage, it'll blow you away. And then we're going to see another verse that was quoted, and we see this with John the Baptist in Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali is in the southern northern kingdom border And in that area was a trade route up by the Sea of Galilee. And it was one of the most filthy, darkest regions of the world. And it was there that Jesus Christ began his ministry and spent three years discipling the apostles to change the world and turn it right side up. And it was in that dark area that a light would shine and the Lord would change the world. So I don't care how bad you think California is or the nation or the world it, it pales in comparison to Zebulun and Naphtali, and yet God made a difference right there. So I pray that today's message will encourage you, inspire you, and bless you. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Isaiah 9, I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read a lot of it. Starting with verse 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is in distress, who is distressed, And when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Now let's go over to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, 
to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Verse 8, this is now the judgment of Samaria. The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, pay attention to that. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild them with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up against the adversaries of resin against him and spur his enemies on. Verse 13, excuse me, verse 12. The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off the head and tail from Israel. Palm branch and bulrush in one day. Now look at verse 15. The elder and honorable, he is the head. The prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err. And those who are led by them are destroyed. And drop down to verse 18. For wickedness burns as the fire and it shall devour, uh, excuse me, devour the briars and the thorns and kindle in the thickets of the forest. And then verse 21, Manasseh shall devour, devour Ephraim, Ephraim, Manasseh. Together they shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out. Lord, a lot to cover, but Lord, we thank you that your word is living and breathing. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us into all truth. We pray that we would be encouraged, inspired, challenged, and blessed, and forever changed for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. So in this passage of Scripture, the, the first seven verses are an encouragement to the nation of, of Israel, mostly Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom will be judged, but God says to the remnant, to the, the southern kingdom, he says, I, I, unto you, and, and in the darkness of Zebulun and Naphtali, a great light will shine. People who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And what he's saying is there's going to be a Messiah that's going to come in and set it straight. Now you're going through judgment. The northern kingdom's going to be wiped out by the Assyrians. Uh, there, there's going to be the half tribe of Manasseh and they're going to all kind of mingle and they're going to be called Samar- uh, Samaritans, uh, on and on and on. And, and yet I want my people to know that for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, God declares this promise to his people I'm giving you a Messiah, he's going to be born of a virgin. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the idea is the government will be upon his shoulder. And there's going to be hope for mankind. And justice and judgment will come from the Lord. And he'll bless the world through you, his people. This is a declaration to the children of Israel. It's also a declaration to his people today. 
And this is 700 years before Christ would be born. So they would have to wait 700 years before the Messiah come. We have been, we, we've been enjoying his presence on the earth for over 2,000 years. And when we believe in our heart and confess with our tongue that Jesus is Lord, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. We take up his, he, he takes up residency in our life. We're instruments of his righteousness to perform his will on the earth. The reason why I say this is because I think as a church, we struggle. We struggle with mission. Mission creep is what they call it in the military. And if I were to ask the church, what is our mission? To know Christ and make him known. Eh, it was kind of good. I don't know. I think we can do better. To preach the gospel. What's the gospel? Uh, Death, well, that's part of it. What is the mission of the church? And I wanted to share this with you. This is a Mayflower Compact. But before I read it, it was just a little teaser. You were getting into it, and I saw you. <laughs> I'm learning how to work these slides. We are the United States of America. That means we, as a people, have compact together, covenanted together under a series of laws and rules to declare ourselves, and we have our, our mission statement, which is our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people. That's our mission statement. And then our bylaws is the U.S. Constitution. And so when we see SB 54 and the immigration laws and, and we're going to be meeting on June 5th at the council, whether or not we hold to it and, and the constitution and is it a state issue or is it a federal issue? And the constitution de- clearly lays out immigration is a federal issue and the state has usurped that authority and they're doing that to the local councils and we have this whole conflict and, and what do we do and what's our role in this? And most people are oblivious to it. Oh yeah, well, I didn't know any of that. AB 2943, where we're having to deal, we have psychologists in our own congregation that are going to be losing their practices as a result of this violation of the First and Fourteenth Amendment. It is the most vile assembly bill you can imagine. Unprecedented, uh, you know, attacks on religious liberty never before in the history. And we're watching this happen. Oh, really? I didn't know that. I, I, I really didn't know that. And as, and as this is all taking place, we think, well, what, what is a nation? What is a governance? When, when the scripture declares that the government will be upon his shoulder, government, you mean, you mean like boundaries? Boundaries? Yes, boundaries. United States of America, boundaries. And what happens is when you compact and you covenant, you come up with a series of laws that you agree with. And so we, the people, in order to form a more perfect union, right? And so we're all Americans that we agree to this. Now, if you want to be a part of this compact, this covenant, you have to agree to the laws that we've agreed to. Oh, okay, okay. And now we're contending for this. And the reason why I share that with you is because where does the foundation come from, whether that nation does righteousness or not? Righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. We're looking at a nation that represents in the span of humanity less than 3% of the world's population, but has experienced the greatest economic growth in the history of the world. Why? Land of the free, home of the brave. One nation under God. Our currency, in God we trust. Where does that come from? A nation that recognizes God, and God we trust. One nation under God. And, and as we look at this, the interesting thing is, this was a compact and a covenant of our founders. Because righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. So here we are, and we've removed God from every vestige of our culture, and we're still continuing to attempt to do that, especially here in California, to the point where I talk about bringing God into schools and that morality might be the answer, and conviction to God's law might be the answer to the problems we're facing, as opposed to more guns, more officers, single entrances into schools. I mean, we've, we've tried every solution. Can we, can we try God again? But that is an anathema. It wasn't always that way. You guys remember Bill Federer when he came here and he spoke about the history of the United States, which isn't completely taught anymore in its entirety. And here we had the pilgrims coming to the new world or coming to the North American continent. They were supposed to go to English sovereign territory. They were blown off course. They landed at Plymouth Rock. When they got there, no one had declared the land. And so they looked at each other and they said, what are we going to do? We don't have the king's authority. We're going to have to govern ourselves. And the separation of church and state, interestingly enough, it was the reverend on board the Mayflower that decided, well, here's what we do. And from the scriptures, they described it and laid it out. And they put together in 1620, just as they were about to step foot, they put together the very first political compact the first government recognized in the history of North America, and it was called the Mayflower Compact. It was, it's kind of like our, our uh, constitution. And, and here, here's how, this is, this is how they wrote it. Take, take a look. In the name of God, amen. Great start. <laughs> we chose names, uh, we whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France and Ireland King, defender of the faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country. That's how the very first compact came together. Fascinating. And from that blessing, here you are. Scriptures open, freely to examine the word of God. And yet we're watching as a government of the people, by the people, for the people, a constitutional republic never before experienced on the face of the earth, established with these principles of, of this idea of government of the consent that we're created equal, and I can't do to you what you don't give me permission to do because we're equal. But now we think, oh no, we don't want a republic, we want a democracy. We want social justice. Well, let me tell you what a democracy is. A democracy is two wolves and one lamb deciding or voting on who they're going to eat. A republic, a representative form of government, a constitutional republic is this idea that the consent of the governed, that we elect representatives, that we the people are the sovereign. Never before known on the face of the earth. And we're, we're no longer educating our populace in this and we're losing this, this idea. And so with this, this is where we began. And now we're watching as we've removed God. Prayer is no longer permitted in school. Scripture reading no longer. It used to be the Northwest Ordinance. You couldn't get federal funding unless you taught the Bible in schools. The very first public school act was in uh, 1647. The Old Satan Deluder Act. The idea to teach kids to read so that they can read the scriptures. The, the number one textbook in America up until like the 1930s was a New England primer. It was all about scripture. Try, try, try implementing that today here. And now we wonder... Why our children are killing each other? The kid was bullied. So the answer, bring guns to school. Kill, kill the people that bullied me. Where did he get that? I don't know. Maybe countless hours of video games. Oh, yeah, well, that's entertainment. That's not bad. 
This is, this is the byproduct. What a man sows, he reaps. And now we say, well, what's the solution? The, the culture is imploding. What do we do? All the foundations are imploding. What do we do? Well, I, again, a single entrance into the school, more security guards. Um, maybe we take guns out. Maybe we, legis- maybe we, and we're coming up with everything but God. Here's our mission, folks. But let me begin first. Our mission means our committed participation as God's people at God's invitation and command in God's own mission within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. That's what we do. It means our committed participation as God's people at God's invitation and his command in God's own mission within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? That's just not something going on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Let's go home and get brunch. That's, that's the mission. You're on mission. That's what we're called to do. Oh, I don't know about that. Yes, it, it goes further. The Holy Scripture reveal how, reveals how God placed his people into positions of authority to, number one, affect national change. Two, make known his existence above all false gods. And three, deliver his people from destruction. False gods of secularism. We buy into that lock, stock, and barrel, and we tolerate it as God's people. We're, We're to affect national change. We're to deliver people from destruction. It's not a blob of tissue. It's a human being. You you participate at every level. I long to see the day where people are engaged in the school boards and they're engaged in in the city council that nothing slips your understanding. You're watching because all the children are, 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 their futures are at stake. We contend for this. A kingdom is a governmental system. And Isaiah declared in this passage of scripture, 700 years before Christ, the government shall be upon his shoulders and of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Now, that's a governmental system. That's the kingdom. We have a responsibility in the kingdoms of men to honor God in all that we do. Politics is the governing of the affairs of a nation or activities that relate to influencing the actions and policies of a government. So Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's authority. Yes. Against powers. That's authority against the rulers. That's authority of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the high places. That is a governing authority. And we contend for all of those. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country, which we love unless the church will take right ground. Politics are a part of religion in such a country as this, and Christians must do their duty to the country as part of their duty to God. And people look at that and they go, oh, pastor. Where did, where, where did we come up with this idea of a constitutional republic? Where did we come up with this idea that we're created equal? endowed by a creator where in the world did something that, that we have the consent of the governed representation so that the, the two wolves don't eat the lamb where, where do we get absolutes? Where do we get this understanding that murder's wrong? The word of God. Yeah, but that doesn't belong in government. What are you saying? Read Isaiah nine. The government will be upon his shoulders. 
For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. And you go on after he gives this whole picture of, of, of the Messiah in 9, 6, and 7. And then he goes on to declare the, the destruction of the northern kingdom and what's going to happen to them. And he, he places the blame di- directly in verse 16 for the leaders of this people cause them to err. And those who are led by them are destroyed. I want to tell you something. My job would be immensely easier if all I had to do was to get you to raise your hand. If you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Glory, Father, can I see your hands if you want to receive Christ today? God bless you, I see you. God bless you, I see you. And I'm not opposed to that. We need to start that. That's good. But if that's all I had to do, God bless, great hands. Let's go get brunch. It would be so much easier if I could just keep butts in the seats. And, it was, and if the success of the church was buildings, budgets, and baptisms, we'd be... That's it. All I got to do is just get you to raise your hand. I don't have to contend with culture. I don't have to inspire people to go and do stuff. I don't have to do anything. I can stay right here. Right here. This is, oh, it's like a womb. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> just warm. Too warm. Let's turn on some air conditioning. Oh, we can air conditioning, cool, hot, cushy chairs. Lovely. Entertainment. We get music. This is so, I just love this. Why do you have to do that? I, look, I, I don't. I would rather not. But this is what we're commanded to do. We are, we change the culture. We don't adapt to it. Just go along to get along. No. The government will be upon his shoulder. And the problem is, the leaders of this people cause them to err and those who are led by them are destroyed, whether it's in the pulpit or in politics. They're going to tell you what you want to hear in order to get the money out of your pocket so they can continue doing stuff contrary to what God desires. Tell me what you want me to hear. I'll blow sunshine your way. Just keep the tides flowing. Everyone said, you go into politics, you start preaching that, the attendance is going to drop, giving is going to drop. And people left. I remember one person at Christmas when I gave this message, they left. I don't need this in the church. I said, I'm going to miss you. But don't let the door hit you on the way out. And, yet, and, and what I watched is people were starting to be drawn to it because they saw the power of the scriptures that it is not just for doing this, but for changing all that. And I've watched each and every one of you in some capacity step into the culture and, 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 and say, God, here am I, I want to be used. I'm blown away by watching as this is being implemented in our community and throughout the country. But the problem is, if we tolerate these leaders and we want our ears tickled, then this is what's going to happen to our nation, destruction. Now, that brings me towards the end of my message. Not quite there, but almost. Some of you are falling asleep. Wake up. God bless you. I see your eyes open. Look at verse... hmm, I don't know. Let's just pick one. No, look at verse 10. Oh, no, let's look at verse 9. All the people will know that Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria who say in pride and arrogance of heart. Remember I repeated that when we were reading it? Pride and arrogance of heart. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. When Isaiah gave this prophecy to the northern kingdom, 
And he said, this is what you've done. And this is what's going to happen. The Lord sent word against Jacob and it has fallen on Israel and all the people will know Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria who say in pride and arrogance of heart, pride and arrogance of heart, pride and arrogance of heart. They're, they're declaring to God who has said unto you, a child is born unto you. A son is given the government. We, we, what forget it. We don't want God. I don't want this kind of a church. I don't want that. Just keep it. Don't get uppity. Just contain it. And with pride and arrogance of heart, you know, you guys, you guys are a little too wordy. Can you keep the messages shorter, more music? I like when the smoke comes out. We can do smoke for you. But the, the idea is this. You look at it and you say, why do we have to memorize scripture? Can we get past that and get to the message? That's really, I, I don't even want to come for the worship or the scripture. I just want to get here for the message. And could you dial it down a little bit? Why scripture? Because the Bible says that, that we're to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen and women who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. That the word of God is to be saturated in your family. That you're to raise a child in the way that they should go. That when they're, not, when they're old, they won't depart thereof. All of it is important that you're a steward of their life. You're to raise them in the love and the admonition of the Lord. This is a commandment. You're stewards of their life. Well, I just want to just, check them into public school. Fine, check them into public school, but participate because not only do you have to help the teachers and the administrators to implement these, this wisdom in your community, but there's other children that don't come from that background. Help them. They'll know the truth. The truth will set them free. Ah, that's, that's a lot of work. I just have somebody else do it. And you know what? We really, why do we have to go to church two times a week? <laughs> Let alone four times a month. Can't we just watch television and study the scripture and do preparation the night before? And I don't want to do that's boring. Really? See, we don't really need God. I, I can manage my family without church. I can do my business without church and we really don't need pol- church in politics. And it's entertainment. I'm not, I'm, I'm not obeying everything I'm watching at the movie theater. I'm just, it's entertainment. And we certainly don't need to affect it because you put in the Bible stuff into ed- entertainment. It just, it gets all preachy. And we don't need God. Pride and arrogance. Pride. Don't need God. One of my favorites is people go, why would God allow that to happen? That's one of my favorites. It's kind of like, they sit on the throne of authority and they're the center of the universe and they're putting God on trial. I don't like the way he does things and I have some questions for him. A friend of mine, missionary, said, I'm, I'm really angry at God right now. I go, whoa, back the bus up. Don't, don't go there. What do you mean? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. I, I've been there. Don't do it. For you to be angry at God is basically telling him you know how to run the universe better than he does. And you know what? It, it really has an attitude of entitlement. I mean, 
I'll receive all your grace and your mercy that you've delivered me from death unto life. And you've cast my sins as far as he says from the West to be remembered no more. And I am a wretched sinner and I've been saved. And every breath I breathe is because of your grace and my heart beating because of your grace. My lungs moving because of your grace. I can see, and you've created me and you fashioned me. I'm the only creature in all of God's creation that has created cosmic treason and the, to sin is to die. And the wages of sin is death, but you've delivered me and you paid the penalty for all my sins on the cross. You're amazing. But you know what? I don't like the way you're running things. And you owe me some answers. You're so used to receiving that you think you're entitled. Time out. With grace comes obedience. And you know what? It's not working out the way you like, but guess what? You can't see it, but it's working together for good. And that's called faith. Trust him and wait on him. And don't go, I don't like the way you're doing it. Be very, very, very careful. You're not the center of the universe. It all doesn't revolve around you. Is life hard? Guess what? There's two options, his way or your way. That's the theme song in hell, even though it's kind of a cool song in some ways. I did it my way. That one. <laughs> now I say this because this is where, this is where the pride and the arrogance come in. The arrogance to think I know better than God. I know how to, I don't really need to get my kids involved in, I don't need to raise them in the, I, that's, I, mm. and then you think that politics is the answer, government is the answer, that our salvation is coming on Air Force One. Somebody else can do that, and, and I, I don't need to get involved. I can abdicate that to somebody else. I can, I can step out of the public square. Someone else will do it. I just, I just, I just want to watch Netflix. I want to binge on Netflix. And I don't have time for a Tuesday night school board meeting. When are the elections? First Tuesday when? November? June? What? Who are the candidates? I didn't even read that. Oh my gosh, that's so boring. And yet this is our mission. And then it all falls apart and we look for answers everywhere but God. And I say this because look at verse 10. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. It is arrogance. Can we show that? Well, before we do that, I want to share with you on September 11, 2001, uh, there was this ancient sycamore tree that stood between the small St. Paul's Chapel that was built in 1766 and the World Trade Center. The brunt of the force released by the collapsing Twin Towers caused the 100-year-old tree to fall. The tree fell in such a way that it, its spreading branches created a shield which absorbed the shockwaves from the seeming nuclear impact and preserved the historic 18th century St. Paul's Chapel of Trinity Church and its ancient tombstones from falling debris, including a direct hit from an I-beam that should have been certain destruction. The tree fell over and just covered it. Before I show you that, I, I, I don't know that we remember how tragic September 11, 2001 was. My son, my wife was pregnant. He was to be born October 13th. Uh, yeah, October 13th? 17th? 13th? Oh, 17th. October. Kelly's the 13th. And 
And I remember watching that morning and just being shocked. Two planes went into the World Trade Center. One went into the Pentagon. Another was destined for the White House and crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. I remember the next day, I was a brand new pastor. I just started, been the pastor of church April 1st of 2001. And I couldn't believe how packed the church was that September. Silently, just let's lower the light. Show show some of the video of, of the destruction, if we would. Don't worry, the camera angle gets better. There, this is 18 pictures from different angles. That was one of them. This one makes me a little... Look above his head. Three, two, one... They all began to run. All from different angles, for those of you who doubt it occurred. I'll show you two more. That's good. There's 18 different angles of that day. Over 3,000 people died. A lot of people thought it was judgment. The church was packed that Sunday, packed. Can we get up towards the... Yeah. This is... um, this is the stump of that tree that protected St. Paul's Chapel. It obviously died protecting the church. Not a single window was broken with this sycamore tree as it just hovered over the chapel and protected it. The I-beam came, hit the sycamore tree. Nothing affected the church, nothing. And, and so you had um, uh, um, a designer put this together and he, he created this statue of the remnant of the trunk of that sycamore tree. This is from the church's website. The stump is all that remains of a hundred-year-old sycamore that once stood in the northwest corner of St. Paul's Churchyard. The tree was toppled on September 11th, 2001, when the collapse of the World Trade Center sent tons of debris hurtling towards the church, including a large steel beam from the North Tower. Miraculously, the chapel's trees shielded uh, from from damage and not a single pane of glass was broken through the church. 
And then the world-famous sculptor Stephen Tobin worked with tree experts to preserve the original sycamore stump that you see here at St. Paul's. Isn't that interesting? St. Paul's Church. St. Paul's Church. Very famous church. Here's a picture of it. 1789. This is uh, Washington right there. He'd gone from the federal courthouse. Oh, oh, by the way, Washington, D.C. didn't exist. The capital of the United States was New York. So he finishes at the federal building with the House and the Senate and all the Supreme Court justices, vice president, president. He's inaugurated as president of the United States. He takes now the House and the Senate and all of the legislators and the judicial branch, and they begin to walk a few blocks by declaration down to the old stone church, Trinity Chapel, St. Paul's Church, where he then goes in by declaration. On April 30th, 1789, George Washington was inaugurated. The House and the Senate met in the two chambers inside the hall of the, uh, the, the federal hall. And on the morning of the day on which our illustrious president will be invested with his office, this was a declaration, the bells will ring at nine o'clock when the people may go up to the house of God and in a solemn manner commit the new government with its important train of consequences to the holy protection and blessing of the Most High. An early hour is prudently fixed for this peculiar act of devotion and is designed wholly for prayer. And so they went to that Trinity church that was protected this is what Washington said in tendering this homage, act of worship to the great authority of every public and private good. I assure myself that it expresses your sentiments not less than my own, nor that of my fellow citizens at large less than either. No people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. And they dedicated the country, they dedicated it all to the Lord in that little chapel. And that sycamore tree protected that chapel. And it was destroyed. Look again, if you would, to Isaiah 9.10. The bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them to cedars. Oh, when the sycamore tree was destroyed, they replanted it with a cedar tree. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord will, will perform this. But they rile against God, and they basically say, let, let's, you can pause that if you would, just close that screen out. What all the leaders are doing in this passage is they're saying, knock down the bricks, God, we don't care. We'll just rebuild with hewn stone. Take out the sycamore that requires long time to grow like, like our, our thousand oaks. 300 years before maturity, dense. You knock those down. They may have taken hundreds of years ago. Just knock them down. We'll put up pine trees. They grow feet overnight. They're, they're a, a light wood, but it doesn't matter. We don't need you. We don't need foundations. We don't, we'll just rebuild. This, that, was the, that was the tone of the passage. The sycamore protects this covenant before God. And we, we don't need you, God. Knock down the buildings, we'll rebuild them. 
Do you know why this is happening? Do you know why we're struggling? We've removed God. You, you can come up with any solution you want apart from God. And it is not a solution. It's an exercise in futility. I want to close with one video and one verse. Now understand the context of the passage we just read. And let me read it again. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. And don't forget how that was said. In pride and arrogance. You got that? All right, this is September 12th, 2001. Tom Daschle, the Senate Majority Leader. It's a four-minute video. Wait until the end. It is with pain, sorrow, anger, and resolve that I stand before this Senate, a symbol for 212 years of the strength of our democracy and say that America will emerge from this tragedy as we have emerged from all adversity, united and strong. The America in which we woke today is far different from the one in which we woke yesterday. This morning, as our rescue workers and medical personnel continue their heroic work, we begin to truly understand the enormity of what happened. My heart aches for the people of New York, our men and women serving at the Pentagon, the passengers and crew of the four hijacked aircraft and for their families and friends. These attacks were an assault on our people and on our freedom. They aimed at the heart of the American community and the symbols and structures of our economic and military strength. As an American, as an elected representative, I am outraged as a husband and a father. I am pained beyond words. Last night, we sent a message to the world that even in the face of such cowardly and heinous acts, the doors of democracy will not close. This joint resolution we lay down today condemns yesterday's attacks expresses our sympathy for the victims and our support for the president as our commander-in-chief. The world should know that the members of both parties in both houses stand united in this. The full resources of our government will be brought to bear in aiding the search and rescue and in hunting down those responsible and those who may have aided or harbored them. Nothing, nothing can replace the losses of those that have suffered.
I know that there is only the smallest measure of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation. But there is a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that I think speaks to all of us at times like this. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. It almost seems ludicrous that we would declare our mission, our mission. God has placed his people into positions of authority to affect national change, make known his existence above false gods, and deliver his people from destruction. That's our call. That's our mission. It's not this. Now, you can reject that and go about your lives and be entitled to grace without obedience. And it may work for you, but for coming generations, there'll be nothing left. This is our distinct privilege and calling. It's our mission. And I, I just pray we'd be inspired by it. I, I am so excited to be alive in such a time as this. Because you, you watch the news, you're like, did they really just say that? That is hilarious in a very tragic way. And the contrast between darkness and light has never been clearer. And you get to be on mission. And it's exciting. And there's, he hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. You're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. No weapon fashioned against you will stand. It's really exciting to be a part of this. Don't walk around with your tail between your legs moping around as though you don't have the answers. You do, and they need them. And now let's go on mission and get it done. And may God bless you and inspire you and empower you by His Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.